0: Everybody's going for those kinky boots, kinky boots Kinky boots, it's a manly kind of fashion that you borrowed from the boots, Borrowed from the boots, kinky boots
1: Hello everyone, and a very warm welcome to another edition of Kinky Boots. I'm Ken Moss. I'm Simon Exton. Tonight we are watching The Avengers Series 1, Episode 25, A Change of Bait. Or even listening to it.
0: I only get to be pedantic about that twice more, so...
1: (laughs) This episode was written by Lewis Davidson. It was produced on the 20th of September 1961 and transmitted on the 23rd of December 1961. The episode, as with the vast majority from season one, is lost. There is a video reconstruction on the Studio Canal series box set... And there's an audio reconstruction by Big Finish on The Lost Episodes Volume 4. A full camera script and scene breakdown does exist. That's from uh, Barbara Foster's private collection. There are 77 publicity stills and I think about 80 telesnaps. This was broadcast at 10pm in the ABC Midlands, North, Anglia, ATV, Southern, Tineties, Television, Western Wales, Ulster, Westwood, Border and Grampian regions. The only one that didn't bother this time was Scottish television. You bastards. Dr. Exton, do you have a synopsis for
0: us? I do. And again, this is taken from Dave Rogers' marvellous book, The Ultimate Avengers. Lemuel Potts finds himself outwitted at every turn by Steed. When Potts attempts to defraud Keel's patient, Archie Duncan, he finds himself pocketing the bill for Archie's cargo of rotten bananas. His other scheme to burn down an antique shop and claim the insurance money is again sabotaged by Steed, who extinguishes the flames. Even when placed under arrest for attempting to start the fire a second time, Steed tricks the hapless Potts, this time into revealing the names of his accomplices. Start spreading it around, Charlie. Nice and easy, where we want it. Give it an hour's fuse. By the time, what with natural evaporation, the air in here will be thick with petrol fumes. Go like a ruddy bomb. In the trade, Charlie, we call it spontaneous combustion. Perhaps a bit more juice over there. Maybe
1: around this cupboard. Unlocked. Get that table. The table. Get it quick. Where's it in front of the door? Got a load more gear. You all right in there? What's going on? There's some geezer in there. Been taking our pictures. Go on, I I bet he fixed their are hot stuff too. Give it an hour, mate. You'll find out how hot they are. Herb, you're not gonna... You don't think I'm just gonna order prints, do you? Come on, get the cans. Let's scarf her. 2.15. An hour. That's what you've got, mate. Hey.
0: hey. On. Open the door.
1: This was broadcast on the 23rd of December and there was a memo actually from Leonard White dated the 27th of July and he noted that there would be two episodes broadcast on the 23rd and 30th of December. And in his memo he suggested that they should give some recognition to Christmas. It's a little bit more whimsical than usual, very slightly, but it's not really a Christmas episode in any way. And uh, we've only got Dragonsfield left, so I don't know whether that's New Year in any way. But Whimsical.
0: That's what we're calling it, isn't it? Whimsy, it is.
1: Put a pin in that. We'll come back to it. Yes, burning people alive in a cupboard. There is also a civil service complaint by the Home Office about this episode because it was perceived that it might allow a member of the public to commit a reproducible crime. But unfortunately, the police officers that viewed it really enjoyed the episode and decided that there was was no case to answer. And I'm going to give another note while I can to the splendid Mrs. Peel Were Needed website by Piers Johnson. That's really well worth a look if you're an Avengers fan.
0: So does that mean, because I know how the police work, does that mean that a copy of this episode may be sitting in police evidence somewhere? Because I've I've worked for the police and the buggers never throw anything
1: out. They do I, I suspect it was more an Ampex, because bear in mind these were all recorded on Ampex tape which was monumentally expensive at the time we're talking thousands of pounds per tape, I doubt it, I suspect it was the actual Ampex tape the viewing was held in June 1962 so this was aft mind you having said that, the viewing was held in June 1962 it's possible get out there episode hunters and has anybody asked them or do I need to add that to my to-do list? I think we need to add this to our to-do list. There's a lot going on here. What have we got oh, in terms
0: <laughs> would it be if we found a lost
1: episode? I, I think that's the pinnacle of our podcasting career if we found <laughs> something. Uh, what have you got in terms of alumni for this one?
0: Oh, this is a good one for alumni. So in terms of Doctor Who alumni, absolutely front and centre, top of the list. Henry Lincoln, writer of such... Oh, really? Yep. Such classics as The Web of Fear. I think he wrote three different Doctor Who stories and wrote for the Sarah Jane adventures because he had quite a significant career as an actor as well. He will appear once more in The Avengers. So you'll actually get to see what he looks like. Well, I didn't know that. You've taught me something today. Graham Rigby played Larry Madison in three episodes of *The Dalek Invasion Earth*, and John Bailey, who is best known to Doctor Who fans as Edward Waterfield in *The Evil of the Daleks*, had two other Doctor Who credits. Firstly, the Commander at the end of *The Sensorites*, but his final Doctor Who credit was Sesam in *The Horns of Naimon. He of the very spangly turban. <laughs> Or, as we're now calling it, The Horns of Gammon.
1: Yes, aren't you calling it?
0: Continue, Um, who else? um, Well, no, more with him. He will appear in three more episodes of The Avengers. He was a regular in the Foresight saga. He appeared in The Picture of Dorian Gray and The Lady of the Camellias episodes of the Armchair Theatre. And The Lady of the Camellias is one of the earliest surviving episodes of the Armchair Theatre from, I think, about 1956 or something. His very final credit was in the personal services film, the biopic of Cynthia Payne. And this is one of the very few times I will be able to do the I've met a famous person here because I met Cynthia Payne and she was absolutely lovely. It was impossible to get a word in edgeways, but she was incredibly entertaining. And his first television credit is from the theatre parade strand and the play Marigold, transmitted on the 30th of November 1936. And seeing as BBC television was only inaugurated in November 1936, this is one of the very first things that they did. So he he dates back right the way back to the beginning of BBC television. And so therefore to the beginning of television. Other alumni, um, Victor Platt was PC Ellis in two episodes of Greater Mass in the Pit and will turn up in one further episode of The Avengers. Gary Hope will turn up in two more episodes of The Avengers... Norman Pitt was the entertainingly named Badger Cox in, <laughs> em- in Emmerdale in 1979 and will turn up in one more episode of The Avengers. Harry Shacklock will turn up in three more episodes of The Avengers. Gillian McCutcheon um, is still with us and had quite a long career. Uh, her most recent regular role was as Judge Blake in U- Law and Order UK. This episode of The Avengers was her first televised credit. And finally... Tim Barrett played the regular character Garfield Hawke in Comeback Mrs. Noah. He played the regular character of Malcolm in Terry and June. He appeared in the Tomorrow People episode, One Law, which introduces your favorite character of Mike. Mm-hmm. He will appear in one more episode of The Avengers, but more important, vastly more important than any of that, he played Christopher Vaughan in the Victimers Birdwatcher episode of The Corridor People.
1: Well, isn't that
0: lovely? In fact, I think he's the first character to be seen in The Corridor People. So you see him, and then you have all that joy to follow. It's difficult to know what to say at this point. "Woohoo!" is what you say with The Corridor People? Yes. So. And followed swiftly by, I would like to watch another episode
1: of that, please. Alas, there are only four, and we've seen them all, so we can't do it. Ah, oh. well, We can watch them again. <laughs> Dragging us back to The Avengers. I think this is mad enough. What did we think of this one? I think the alumni list is far more
0: interesting than the episode itself. Oh, do you know I really quite enjoyed this one. Uh, The thing about this episode, had it been at the start of the series, it would have fitted in perfectly and it would have been a really good episode. The problem is you're getting at the end of the series where the series itself has evolved and you've had more spy stuff you've had more weird science fictiony research lab stuff you've had more whimsical characters it would be a great episode in that first sort of third to half of season one avengers but by the time it's got to this it doesn't really fit in and the and the, the show has overtaken it it's not badly done but it it's very pedestrian compared to the episodes that go around it
1: I've got to agree with that. I'd never thought of it in those terms, but yeah, now that you've said that, yes, it would fit in sort of that first eight or nine episode rum.
0: Yeah, you dump this next to Ashes of Roses, it would fit perfectly. I mean, it, it would Eclipse be vastly, Ashes of Roses. vastly more entertaining than Ashes of Roses, but it's that sort of fairly conventional crime, Dr. Keel falling into it by accident, Steed being there in the background, both of them being a bit, crap it's early season 1 and it really stands out by the time we've got to this point at the end of season 1 because the series has overtaken that kind of format and is is becoming more quirky and entertaining and this wasn't
1: it's also the last episode's featured dr keel there's no exit scene uh, as such but he's not in dragonsfield next week and neither is carol so this is the last time we see either Kiel and Carol's
0: a bit of a lick and a spit on this one as well, isn't she?
1: With the loudest knitting in the world.
0: Oh, is that what that was supposed to be? I wasn't sure.
1: Yeah. he
0: might now- had a pet rattlesnake or something.
1: <laughs> well, I couldn't quite get a handle on it, although you might be on too. We've never actually been told about Carol's home arrangements, but was she supposed to be that- living in some sort of apartment block or tenement block or something? No, I assumed
0: she was renting a spare room in a house.
1: From somebody who just happened to need the Avengers.
0: <laughs> it's not the biggest crowbar in that they've had on the, in this series, and it, it's really not the biggest crowbar in that they have in an awful lot of TV series. So we can, we can forgive it that.
1: Yes, yes. They do all seem to be surrounded by people that desperately need their help and are involved in massive crimes. I must admit, my attention didn't waver on this one. You're right insofar as it's it's more of a straight A follows B crime drama rather than anything a little bit quirky or off the wall.
0: It's well done for what it is, but what it is is an episode that should have been shown in the first half of the series.
1: I agree, yeah. Now that you've said that, I do agree. The one thing that I will say is there was a lot of to and fro at the beginning of the episode with bananas and phone calls between characters. For about the first five or ten minutes, I've got to admit, I didn't have a clue what they were all on about. And then it just sort of clicked into place when it all became clear that it was an insurance scam. But a lot of the dialogue, you were, there were phone calls, understandable phone calls going on, but how they all fit together and what the, the thrust of it was wasn't very clear. Or at least not to me. Um, so you've seen this before, th- so you've got the benefit of, of foreknowledge, really.
0: Or even listen to it
1: before. Or even listen to it, yes. I must stop saying that. Well, one more we've episode. we only got one episode and left.
0: <laughs> and I can't wait, to be honest. I can't wait until we've got all the visuals. And that is no disrespect in any way to The Big Finish. I think they've done brilliantly. Mm. I would love to see them do this treatment for other classic series that have missing episodes, completely missing shows like The Big Pool or R3. I'd really like to see them do a Quatermass experiment and an A for Andromeda. And on the strength of the quality of Season 1 Avengers reconstructions that they've done, say, we want this to sound like it was made in the 60s, and I think it would be brilliant.
1: Well, they've done a cracking job sound-wise, getting this to sound 1960s. And again, I think a lot of that is down to, well, it is the sound design, but they've they've used the original scripts. Now, you and I, on that note, we've both seen the 2005 Quatermass Experiment remake. It was the very first thing we did for the podcast. and I quite like it. It's all right, but it loses something in translation. It didn't feel quite as polished as the 1950s version. And I think, Big Finish, when you've got that level of audio quality... They could really pick up Quatermass and run with it. Plus, you'd also have a consistent Quatermass, which I think um, would really change things.
0: Oh God, I wouldn't want them to extend the series beyond doing the missing episodes. I wouldn't want them to start doing original Quatermass stories. I think that would be horrendous. Um, no, I
1: was I was more thinking of the the four Quatermass serials. Then there's a you know there is a. Yeah.
0: And we get back to the, what is the point of recreating something that that exists? I think do the first serial, that would be brilliant, and then leave it at that. You've always said this,
1: but there's been plenty of stuff that's been adapted for radio that exists as visuals, and they sit nicely side by side. We are wandering off a little.
0: I am just going to defend the modern 2005 redoing of the Quatermass experiment um, on two uh, two points, mainly based around the fact that this this was a live production. It was the first live production that the BBC had done for about 20 years, so none of the actors or technical staff involved in it were really used to doing live television. And also, as we've said in a, a lot of times, 1950s 1960s television was very very theatrical. Whereas modern television isn't.
1: Yes, there is that, Yep. Yeah.
0: Right, anyway, we're getting miles off course. Way off, way for off change course. of bait. And for all I don't think it sat well in the series, I thought it was quite a good episode.
1: Well, again, I've said this for so many of the others. If an episode holds my attention, now bear in mind that it's on a slight wrong foot by being audio only. But I wasn't tempted to Wikipedia or anything like that or or look into the background of the episode while I was listening. I sat and listened to this thing for 50 minutes and I was entertained and I enjoyed it. I was not bored at all. I will admit some of the stuff that was coming in it, it was fairly predictable how the plot was going to run. Uh, The getting locked in a cupboard thing when they were staking out the the arson attempt. The cheque being cashed at the bank before he had time to stop it. Uh, There were a few things in it that I'd already seen coming before they happened. It didn't make it any less entertaining.
0: Yeah, and I mean a couple of things about that. Firstly, why the hell would you both hide in the same little cupboard just so you can both get locked in?
1: There were a few things throughout it that you Um, just think they wouldn't actually have done that.
0: (laughs) And... Expecting an insurance company to suddenly pay out the morning after a fire is the plan of somebody who has never had any dealings with any insurance companies.
1: (laughs) Also, and I don't know whether things changed in the intervening decades, but they went to cash for cheque at the bank and it was done there and then. Even yes. in 2022. 11, pounds
0: off you go. There, there oh. you go,
1: yes. We'll honour this immediately. There'll be no three-day clearance as there was in the 80s and 90s. I th- Even now, you put a cheque in, you allow six or seven days before it to appear in your account. It's a flawless system, but it's not great. So the fact that he couldn't stop a cheque that had just been deposited minutes ago, <laughs> mm, yeah, maybe not.
0: Yeah. And the insurance bit didn't really make sense. And the whole, oh, yes, I'll just pick up the phone and it will trigger a, a strike. And what the hell kind of blackmail material does he have on the bloke who was trying to do that? Because <laughs> my first job after leaving school was a factory worker. I did, did it for seven years before the factory closed down and I had to go and actually do something else. And this was in the 80s. So I know what trade unions are like and can't see that happening. Not on the, the strength of one person.
1: There's a few things that I'm deeply impressed with. One, there was a lot of phone tapping went on in this episode and diverting phone calls to people that weren't actually the people they were supposed to be talking to. Uh, that would have diverted an awful lot of the previous episodes if they'd done it in those. But also, they've managed to make 50 minutes of drama out of mouldy bananas. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta take my hat off there. There's, there can't be many series that have attempted that and pulled it off. So I'm from a family of dock workers. In the 50s and 60s, they'd come home and, uh, yeah, of course, the banana boats had come into Preston docks and they were full of spiders. So it was quite common. Thankfully, I, was nowhere- I wasn't even a twinkle in the eye at that time, but it was quite common for the dock workers to bring home exotic spiders and presumably just watch them die.
0: Why were you thankful about that? Oh, because you didn't want to watch them die?
1: Well, uh, no, I'm just terrified of spiders, I'm afraid, yes. For anybody really? out there that wants to kidnap me, my nightmare would be to get locked in a banana boat. I think I'd just go slowly mad from terror. Oh, I like spiders. I used to have a pet tarantula. Apparently they stink when they die and start to decompose.
0: Well, mine exploded. That wasn't a natural reaction. and uh, It had died beforehand um, and was starting to froth at its limbs. They're really dull. And and they don't really do very much, which is why I didn't notice it died for a while. Um, (laughs) I used to have a little sideline in selling off the skins. The skins, um, yeah. They have an exoskeleton, so they they crawl out the skins and you have a a perfectly preserved little spider. Um, And I used to have a friend, well, I still have a friend, but she lives in Australia now. But I used to give her the spider exoskeletons and she would lacquer them up and stuff them and make them into uh, bridal bouquet decorations. Right, she was proper old school Gothic. So um, a, a lot of her more private customers, because she did her day to day job as a florist, but
1: Could she I? used to. <laughs> Have we gone a little off topic? Yes. Could I drag us back to masterminds? What do we
0: think? It wasn't bad. It was entertaining. It would score a lot higher if it was earlier in the series, but it isn't. It's a three.
1: I'm going to nudge this into four territory, I think. And this is based on the principle of scoring. I think it's going to be fair to score each series individually I suspect a lot of later ones in the run, there will be fours in their own right. Uh, Having seen a few of the Avengers later in the series, they're very knockabout romps, and they're a lot more lively than this. In the context of series one, I did quite enjoy this one. Surprisingly, I wasn't expecting to, but yeah, I'm going to give it four out of five. And on that note... It is with a heavy heart that I say that next week will be the last of Series 1. We are listening to Episode 26, Dragon's Field. It's a Steed-only episode, and that will be the end of that. I know that you're quite keen to get to the visual ones, but I'm going to be sad to kiss goodbye to the audio only. I've enjoyed Season 1.
0: Well, we're still going to do too many targets at one point, but yeah. because it includes all of the major um, Avengers regulars. I think that we should do that as the very last episode.
1: Until next time, boys and girls, thank you very much for listening. It's been our pleasure as always. We'll see you next week. Bye now.
0: They'll be back. You can depend on it.
1: Kinky Boots featured Simon Exton and Ken Moss with thanks to Studio Canal, Big Finish Productions, and Alan Hayes. Title music was performed by Anna Blackman and Patrick McNee, and the programme was produced by Maverick Productions. Come and get those kinky boots, boots, kinky boots. For more information, please visit maverickproductionsuk.blogspot.com or find us on social media.